0: This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 27-inch.
1: On this very special episode, we sit down with John Bermuda-Schwartz and discuss and listen to super rare, never-before-heard, unreleased Weird Al audio clips. It's
2: Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al. It's a podcast about Weird Al. Steve and Ethan's inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. And Weird Al you don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Steve and inch Weird
0: Al podcast. Ethan, we did it. 27
1: episodes. That's right. 27 episodes. This is so exciting, Dave. I never thought this day would come. Ethan, I have a secret. You do? I. Dave, I thought we agreed
0: we wouldn't keep secrets from each other. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been keeping secret episodes from you and many of our listeners. You have? Yeah, I think it's time we share them with the world. And how do you propose that, Dave? Well, we can post them on our
1: brand new Patreon page. You mean patreon.com slash 2000inch?
0: Yes, patreon.com slash 2000inch. Oh, I was wondering why we had patreon.com slash 2000inch. Well, we're going to keep recording more secret episodes and adding bonus clips and outtakes and other fun surprises, just for our Patreon supporters, that's patreon.com slash 2000inch. That's awesome! I'm totally going to check it out. Uh, Do I have to contribute? Yes.
1: Sorry, Ethan, but these secrets do not come cheap. (sighs) uh, Well, okay. Uh, At least tell me what's on this first secret episode.
0: Well, it's you and I discussing some very interesting would-you-rather questions in the vein of Weird Al and our Weird Al Collections.
1: You were recording
0: that conversation? If you're a fan of this podcast and you want to keep hearing the same great content and interviews we've been providing for the first 27 episodes...
1: Uh, And don't forget our bonus Strings Attached Centimeter episodes. Whether you're interested in perks or just a monetary way to say thanks for all the free content we've been putting out please consider supporting us at patreon.com
0: 2000 inch you know what else is great ethan we have a great guest and a great episode this week we sat down with bermuda and he brought with him some amazing clips and you can hear them only here on dave and ethan's 2000 inch weird owl podcast In honor of our 27-inch episode, we asked John Bermuda Schwartz to go through his massive audio archive and share some rare, never-heard-before clips with us. Bermuda stepped up to the challenge and shared with us some really amazing clips. It's a real treat to have Bermuda back on the show. Welcome back, Bermuda. Well, thank you very much. Nice to be back. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Now, I consider myself very well-versed on rare Weird Al songs, and some of these clips even I'm not familiar with.
3: <laughs>
4: I wasn't familiar with some of these. I, I dug up some stuff that I had forgotten about that uh, that were pretty cool things. So this is going to be a treat for all of us.
1: Definitely, yeah. Thank you again for for gracing us with these amazing songs. I mean, Dave, I, I guess we should start with... Well, let's start at the beginning. I mean, Start at the beginning, yeah. <laughs> start at the beginning of your career. The first Al show I ever saw was on the Running With Scissors tour, and I can only imagine how amazing it would have been to be at the first tour,
4: it was well. It was very different than than uh, the the theaters and the and the other you know larger venues that we ended up playing later in our career. Uh, we were literally playing clubs, right? And uh, which meant you know maybe eighty people or maybe two hundred people. I mean, it was wow. pretty small. It was very uh, intimate. It was very kind of unscripted. I mean, we had a set list, but <laughs> Al would talk between songs. If somebody yelled out something from the audience, he was likely to engage in conversation a little bit uh i mean that that happened from time to time doesn't happen that much anymore you know we're kind of uh we're, we're uh, well we have a show right. it would be like going to see hamilton and yelling out something you know and, and expecting to talk to one of right. the actors so but but back back in the early days well our first tour was 1983 and in those days it was a lot more intimate and some of these things are from some of these intimate shows and uh, it was uh it was a different experience and it was different for us I mean one it was brand new for us and and it was just it was very raw it was very real it was very uh, it was new and it was and it was cool you know the first album was out and uh, al had just burst upon the scene nationally
1: you know and and uh, people were discovering him and coming out to see what he was all about I would have loved to hear some of the earlier songs live i know you know thankfully with the vanity tour we did get to hear some of these songs for the first time or for the first time in decades but you know i've always been interested in some of those earlier songs and what they would have sounded like live well some of them we we might get to some of those
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now i actually heard a rumor that al performed a duet with tress mcneil on the first door tress came out she sang
4: uh at the bottom line with us uh, it was, uh, if memory serves, it was uh, May 21st, 1983. Well, at least that's what wow. the database says. <laughs> and she came out. You know, we, we, uh, Al was into the, the video thing long before people give him credit. Literally on that first tour, we were running the video of Ricky. Wow. Uh, instead of actually playing it, we showed the video. And part of that was because we really couldn't do it without Tress. Al made me sing the part of Tress a few times, and it was, which was a large mistake, and, and we stopped that. I mean, we, we didn't do that, you know, very many, maybe once. Gee, too bad I don't have a recording of that. Oh. But I, I remember it was, it was pretty atrocious. And, and so, you know, we didn't have a, a, a female traveling with us who could sing those parts. So when we were in New York City, We invited Tress McNeil to uh, come sing in the show, to come sing her part on Ricky, which she did. Oh, of course, I have a recording of that, and that's pretty rare. If if you weren't there, you basically never got to see her sing the song with us.
1: And it literally only happened that one time. You know,
4: uh, maybe once or twice, but it wasn't a regular thing right i remember she did we did do the song live for a, a tv show just before the second tour that was uh, hosted by rick dees i remember and we did perform it live but that was that wasn't part of a concert and that was you know taped for an audience and i mean it was sort of a put on deal but it was live we played and she sang live so it was a real performance but in terms of taking the show out to people across the country no there only one or two audiences ever got to see her sing with us and uh, the bottom line back in 1983 was one of those audiences
1: I think we should play a clip from that performance okay
2: Fine. how I love to hear you whine hey Lucy wow that's incredible
1: <laughs>
4: yeah Tress, Tress was something she she was uh she was great and of course she voiced a lot of stuff a lot of cartoons she's a, a regular uh voice on the Simpsons yeah it was really a treat to have her and uh she was a great sport
1: I really love that you know, back in 1983, you had the foresight to record this. I just, you know, I, I'm a hoarder. Yeah. I recorded everything. And not just <laughs> Al. I mean, all the groups I was ever in,
4: I, I made tapes. You know, in the early days, it was reel to reel. I mean, I didn't even have a cassette recorder. Wow. And I just, wow. Uh, I just documented everything. I mean, this didn't just begin with Al. So if you go back prior to my meeting him in 1980, I've got a ton of recordings and photos and flyers and all sorts of stuff from all of the groups that i was involved with and it's just something i did so when it came to al it was just a natural transition (laughs) i I did it a little more feverishly with al than i've done (laughs) with the other groups but basically anything i was involved in i I like to have some mementos and those took a lot of forms and recordings were uh you know two dollar cassette was cheap enough to preserve that stuff forever and you know we're listening to it now you know almost 30 years later yeah 40. 40 years later, yeah. I can count as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's really pretty rare to have somebody not in the band up on stage performing with Al.
4: Well, that's that's true. And it only happened a couple of times with a couple of people. I mean, probably most recently, well, in the 2019 on the Strings Attached Tour, Thomas Lennon came up and did a little quick Yoda thing. Uh, Lynn <laughs> <Right>. manuel <laughs> Miranda did the same thing with Al when we were at Radio City in 2016. Uh, just came out and and where the audience would sing Yoda, you know, sing a a verse, a course of Yoda, Alan, hold the (laughs) mic out. Instead, Lin-Manuel ran up to the mic and sang it. You know, Thomas Lennon did that. Uh, We had... God, maybe 15 years ago, Ben Folds came up and played with us. Uh, did why does this always happen to me? Which he played the piano on. Oh wow! So he came up, wow. and this was at uh, this was in Milwaukee at Summerfest.
1: So cool! And he came
4: up and played, and uh, it was it was uh, spontaneous. We didn't rehearse it. I mean, we he <laughs> he came up like at the last minute. I mean, we knew he was coming up and played, and then and then that was the end of it. It had been. The first time that ever happened, and, and again, it's happened only a few times. You know, Tress, Tress, of course, came and sang with us once or twice. But Rick Derringer, uh, who produced our first six albums and mm-hmm. played most of the guitars on the first album, was also at that Bottom Line show and uh, was invited up to play and did a couple of songs. Uh, he played uh, I Love Rocky Road, and then uh, he also did Buckingham Blues, which uh, I think you have a
2: clip
1: of. Let's check it out.
2: There's somebody very special in our audience tonight. Yes, the producer of my record, a rock and roll legend, a great humanitarian, and the guy who answers my phone calls, Rick Derringer. And he's got a guitar. This is rock and roll magic. This is the kind of thing people will write about the next day. All right, this is a song called The Buckingham Blues. Gonna tell you a story about Chuck and Diane, a couple British kids from the palace at Buckingham. Chuckie wants to grow up and be a polo star and ride his little horses all around the backyard. Oh yeah, you know they really paid their dues. I said, Hey, Lordy, mama.
1: So cool! (laughs) Wow.
0: So Rick was in just in the audience. You knew he was coming up there, right? No, of of course. I
4: mean, (laughs) it it was not a surprise to anyone except the audience, right? And and uh, who who dug that? I mean, now the bottom line was a classic venue. I mean, a, a ton of people perform there, and it's a it's a club. It's maybe a big club, but it's a very small concert hall. Let's say. It holds maybe four hundred people, maybe, and uh, they served dinner there, and they had a big bar there, and and it was, you know, it was a very cool New York venue, and we played there several times. We eventually, honestly, we outgrew it. I mean, yeah. we physically could not do our show there anymore. And I think the last time we played there was sometime in the '90s, which, again, was beyond when we should have been there. Uh, the stage was small. Uh, it was in the first floor of of a big building, as a lot of places are in New York City. So there was a big pillar. Uh, off to one side of the stage that took up space on the stage it was uh, it was a cool place and it was cool to play there at that time but we we just we got uh we got too big and that's okay yeah that's that's fine
3: (laughs)
0: it's a good thing
4: (laughs) but it was it was a very cool venue we had people out from uh, CBS from the record label was there uh and and Rick was there and uh I, I think he had his guitar as I recall he had brought his own guitar and was you know this was something we didn't rehearse it with him though he he came up and We trusted that he remembered the song. And this was still, the album had just come out. So it was still pretty fresh in everyone's uh, head and and, uh, worked out pretty good, sounded pretty good. And was that the only time Rick performed live with you guys? He may have done one other time when we were back at the bottom line. We came back down in uh, July of that year to do a promotion with Swenson's Ice Cream. (laughs) <laughs> and I love Rocky Road. And and they had an I Live they had a Rocky Road ice cream eating contest. Wow. And and he was in on that and we did some performances and it was kind of it was a cool deal. I, I suspect he played with us at the time, I would have to look it up. But again, you know, to come up and do one or two songs, not really to do right. the whole show with us.
1: That's so cool. <laughs> one of the parts of the live show that I, I think Dave can attest, everyone waits for is the drum solo? <laughs> oh, well,
4: everyone in living memory, you know, I, I do, you know, a, a comical drum solo, right? right. You know, in the early days, we used to try and do like real drum, you know, solos and bass solo and guitar solo and stuff like that, and and the audience was like, you know, yay. And, then, and around the time of the Stupid Tour, we learned that if we did something stupid, it really got a laugh. Right. The, the stupider, the better. And and ultimately, my drum solo... I, there were times I I didn't do anything. I just would, like, stand up and take a bow, and that was my solo. <laughs> uh, but typically, I think most of the fans under, under uh, you know, maybe 30 or 40 know that I hit one drum, and then that's my solo. Right. And gets a big round of applause. Well, it wasn't always the case. I mean, I used to... I used to do pretty long solos back in the day, and I, I think uh, I think we have one of those clips.
2: I think it's about time for our mandatory drum solo. Okay, that's enough. Bermuda Schwartz on the drums.
1: Oh wow! So where where was this? Where was this one recorded? That sounds
4: like it was 1983, sometime maybe in July, July eighth, 1983. I could be, I maybe. I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm guessing, you know, according to the database. When, when,
1: he, when you said it was really long, I, I was expecting like a five-minute-long drum solo.
3: Uh, yeah, no, that would not. I would not be
4: here talking to you about my career with Al if I'd done a five-minute drum solo.
1: So really long just means a couple more hits. Well, literally like
4: five or six times longer than I do now. Right. Yeah. (laughs) True. That's long. That's a long time. That's a long time to have to listen to me play. We all we all figure that out pretty quick.
1: Yeah. How did those early audiences deal with that? I can't imagine. They some
4: of them went up and they went out and bought merch or right. you know got a drink or went to the bathroom or or they took a nap. Uh they went out and checked to make sure their car was locked. I and mean, there were all sorts of reactions. Right. When I when I started playing people just you you really learned a lot about the people who had paid to get in. You know how much how much they loved or hated you. The worst part about the merch in those days, we didn't have any. We literally didn't have any merchandise till 1984 when, when we had one shirt. Whoa. And, oh, and right if now. you didn't like that shirt, you didn't get any merch. Right. So,
1: <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. What was that one shirt? And
4: it's a rare shirt. Uh, in fact, it was reissued uh, uh, not long ago in blue. I'm going to say the Stranger Things shirt.
1: Yeah, the, the quote-unquote Dustin shirt from Stranger Things.
4: Yes, right. So that's a uh, so very popular so uh, you know, It comes back. It lives again.
0: Oh, so that was the first piece of Weird Al merchandise, or the first shirt, at least? It was that in 3D shirt, that blue one?
4: That was, well, and it wasn't blue. It was a white shirt. It was actually not the first one. The very first one had both Dr. Demento and Al inside the frame.
1: Oh. Ah. And
4: because we went out on that 84 tour with Dr. Demento, and uh, we were still part of his show. We were the, the live band portion of his uh, presentation. And during that first tour, as Edith was going up the charts and getting very popular on uh, MTV, suddenly we became the draw. So <laughs> when we went back out over the summer, suddenly Dr. Demento was not in the shirt anymore. <laughs>
3: it's <was> just <laughs> Al, as,
4: as it appears on the in 3D right. cover. And then that became the shirt. So there, there are two versions uh, of that uh, first shirt.
0: Amazing. Wow, those are Amazing. I'd love to see more reissues of older T shirts. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. I could probably do a book
4: on all the merch. Please uh, do. That, that Please I've do. got <laughs> I've got one of everything.
1: We will help. We will help you. <laughs> that would be so cool. I always loved hearing about there were these concert only songs that, you know, would only be sometimes played a couple times. And never released, you know, Al never did an official recording, or he never wrote enough lyrics for it. You know, are there any of those that you can tell us about?
4: Well, Chicken Pot Pie is is one of those that we did play a little portion of that. I mean, we back in the day we did a food medley, and some of those songs were just truncated versions of songs that we had. Uh, mm, okay. I mean, for example, Eat It. Eat It eventually wound up in the food medley, and Chicken Pot Pie was. Was debuted in the Food Medley, and everybody knows well. Al didn't get permission from Paul McCartney to release that. Right. But that was a song where he actually we we have a rehearsal tape of that entire song. He he had written the whole song.
3: Oh wow!
4: Uh, I don't I don't have that handy. But there were there were a few other things, uh, you know, that that we played only once. I'm such a groovy guy was one of those songs that got played only once. I think in 1982. I think it was March 31st, 1982. Hmm. At Hop Sings
3: in Venice, California,
4: <laughs> if, if I recall correctly and if my database is accurate. Uh, we, had, uh, we had Bill Anderson, who I was in a group called Nipper with. I'd, I'd done some stuff with him since 1978. And he did a little bit of recording with us on the first album. Great sax player. He played trumpet. He played flute. Uh, he could play guitar. Uh, in fact, he came out on the road with us in 1985 to flesh out uh, the band a little bit. And so he's on the sax on that song, uh, both on the record, I believe, and and at this performance. We had him come up on stage to play I'm Such a Groovy Guy, which is uh, one of the originals. We've got a lot of originals, and everyone knows we pulled out like 50 originals on the No Frills Tour in 2018. That was not one of the songs that was included. So that remains a song that was literally played one time, and that was the end of it. And, wow. of course, I had tape rolling. But let me get back to Bill Anderson real quick. He he went on later to score a bunch of cartoon stuff and eventually went on to score the, a lot of the music or all of the music for My Little Pony.
1: Oh, now there's wow. a connection. Okay. He's
4: the guy who planted the seed for Al to become Cheese Sandwich. Oh,
0: wow.
1: He,
4: he sort wow. of initiated the, the connection there and and brought him in and that became, that turned into a cheese sandwich, I guess. So Bill Anderson, or he goes by Will Anderson now, uh, is, uh, is kind of responsible for Al doing that whole thing. So cool. So he's the guy playing sax on "I'm Such a Groovy Guy.
1: Let's check it out. I'm so adorable and charming as anyone can see
2: And everybody's always trying to hang around with me They tell me I'm the greatest and it's hard to disagree Because I'm so perfect in every way And I'm so cute I can hardly handsome honey I could just die I know you'll never be as wonderful as me But at least you can try Cause I'm I'm such a groovy guy Such a groovy guy Yeah I'm such a groovy guy Such a groovy guy Yeah I'm such a groovy guy Such a groovy guy Yeah I'm such a groovy guy
0: What was the reason that was only played one time? I don't know.
4: You know, at that and it's interesting because at that time, it's not like we had a ton of songs. You know, we, we only had a handful of songs, really. We had At that point, of course, we had one album's worth of songs and a couple of Al's, you know, original older things that weren't on the album. And it's not like we had a ton of stuff to choose from. We should have been able to play more of those songs more <laughs> right. often. But we also weren't doing two-hour shows where we were right. strapped for material. You know, we'd come out and do... 30 or 45 minutes and you know we'd play whatever would fit in there and that was kind of it you know there was an obligatory polka medley which was not on the first album so that was already additional material in those early days and that was just one of those songs that that got played once and by the time we got together and played again like for example that was one of the shows we did right before the ill-fated missing persons show which if memory serves was april 9th uh, 1982. (laughs) If uh, my database is correct, and we did not do "I'm such a groovy guy" in that show, so there was a very deliberate decision that that was not going to be part of the set. We just we did it at Hop Sings that one day, and that was it. And um, you know, tape was rolling, so it is preserved forever.
1: I noticed that there was like a slight difference in the lyrics on that version than the one that's actually on the album. Was that one prior to when the album's version came out?
4: That was recorded shortly after we recorded the album, actually. Oh, okay. So it was, you know, if if the lyric is different, then uh, I didn't really notice it. But that's uh,
1: it's so slight.
4: You'd have to ask Al why why he doesn't know his own lyrics. I guess.
1: <laughs> well, if he's only gonna perform it once, you know, you can't expect him to know every lyric. Well, and
4: that makes it even more special, I think.
0: <laughs> I, I agree.
4: Special concert concert only lyrics.
1: Yeah. Now, there are a
0: couple other songs that are special concert-only stuff that you've done in the Food Medley.
4: Ah, well, a lot of stuff ended up in the Food Medley that wasn't really a a song that Al had done or or often didn't have more than a verse and a chorus for. And, you know, they they were heard by the audience, you know, on on that tour. Except there was one night, if memory serves, (laughs) it was in 1987. I think it was in May. Of 19, it was May 16th, 1987. Wow. Your memory surprised me. My memory me. and my so database did. are just incredible. <laughs> incredible.
1: <laughs>
3: this was
4: actually a warm-up show we did right before the Monkees tour. Oh. We we had a food, everything was, it was still called the Food Medley at the time because, of course, all of Al's songs were about food. And he had some songs uh, in the medley that we did literally just that one time. By the time we got on the road with the Monkees, they were no longer in the medley. Uh, the first was a parody of Tina Turner's We Don't Need Another Hero called We Won't Eat Another Hero, like about hero sandwiches. Another one was a parody of uh, Don Johnson Heartbeat, which uh, Don Johnson, the actor from Miami Vice, you know, who's, you know, you have a popular actor, so you give him a recording contract. Ours was called Hot Beats, like hot beats, like the vegetable. Yeah, it wasn't that. See, this is why these songs didn't make it to the, you know, just a month later they were gone. And uh, and then we took a, another uh, poke at Billy Joel, uh, a matter of trust called a matter of crust, right. about uh, <laughs> toast, about a piece of toast. But those were played only one time. Those were songs that did not have like a, a there were those were not ever full songs. They were just a, a snippet, a, a, a verse and a chorus, and that was pretty much it. But those those got played one time, one time only. <laughs>
1: Let's play them for a second time. And
4: uh, and and now they're get they're they're going to get played
1: twice now, I guess. All right, well, let's start with We won't eat another hero.
2: And I wonder if things are ever going to change.
0: stuff. (laughs) Now, hero is a very geographic term there. We call them subs over here.
4: Right. Ah. Yeah, it must be a West Coast thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah, okay. (laughs) Did Al ever go to Tina Turner and ask for permission for this? Or is this just something he said? I just only have one verse. I'm only going to do it once in concert. I'm not going to bother trying to get permission for this.
4: Yeah, I think, and you know, and there were a number of songs like that. And they just existed as concert-only songs. I think in some cases, there just wasn't enough to go on. He, you know, the, the gag was delivered in one verse and chorus, and there wasn't really a need to yeah. go any further.
3: <laughs> and
4: and uh, and in the case of Hot Beats, that's literally the whole song. <laughs> was just like the the doing that little short chorus that was the whole thing that's actually all he had so so again brilliant brilliant stuff but uh no so these these things were just uh, they were intended as concert only songs and uh and again there were a lot of songs like that
1: let's check out hot beats,
2: hot beats. I'm looking for something
1: I don't, know. I don't know what I was expecting, but I love it. I love it. My new favorite Weird Al song, I think, Hot Beats.
4: And it's probably, it's interesting because you probably wouldn't, if you think about even one hit wonders of the 80s, that's not probably one of them, the Don Johnson song that would enter your mind. Right. I mean, it came and went that quickly. You know, had it not been he... for Don's name, nobody would have cared about the song at all.
0: Yeah, I don't even think I knew that Don Johnson recorded anything. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, I, he may, you know, prefer that you forget. I don't
3: know. <laughs> uh. All
1: right. Well, I guess we need to now check out a matter of crust. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: I love
4: it. <laughs> now, the good news is these these were recorded really well. I mean, it was very obviously a board mix, and, and it's nice to have, like, really nice versions of these. So, I mean, that's that's the saving grace about these songs is that they sound great.
1: Yeah. And, well, they do. And
4: yeah. uh, beyond that, it's, it's nice to be able to present them to fans who, unless they were at that show, which I think was in Riverside, California, unless they were at that show, they would never have, you know, these are songs that never got out. Wow
1: kind of reminds me of the, uh, the Simpsons clip where Homer, you know, is suggesting, you know, another one bites the crust and uh, live in La Pizza Loca.
4: Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we digressed.
1: We digressed.
0: But so this was the second time that Al actually took a parody of Billy Joel, right? Cause he started with, it's still Billy Joel to me.
1: Right.
4: And, and, uh, Billy was was not uh, that receptive to that, and and uh, I I doubt that he he never would have heard matter of crust. Uh, of course, by the time until now, uh, yeah. But but by the time uh, O to a superhero came around, he was a lot more amenable to to, uh, you know, the royalties, I mean, to Al's <laughs> agenda. And, and, you know, cheerfully gave his permission for that. I, I think he took himself very seriously in the early days and, and thought that was terrible. Somebody would make fun of him and his song, which is, you know, actually Al was making fun of him, so <laughs> I can understand that. One of the couple of songs where Al's, where the subject matter actually had something to do with the song or the artist, uh, the other being uh, Achy Breaky song. Of course which took a real poke <laughs> at that song
1: so as it should have <laughs> and
4: as it as it did as it very aptly did
1: one thing i loved about the vanity tour is not only did we get to hear some of these songs performed for the first time or for the first time in 30 or 40 years but we also got to hear you know really amazing cover versions of such an eclectic mix of songs And, you know, this wasn't the first time that Al and and you guys covered a song on stage.
4: Yeah, you know, we we did, uh, I can't even remember why. I think it was 1985 at the All-Iowa Fair in Cedar Rapids. All-Iowa, the fair. So that would have been during June. Maybe June 30th? Maybe, (laughs) probably according to the database. I don't remember why, but I think we only did it once. We played It's a Gas. Now, (laughs) It's a Gas was... Was a song that was released through Mad Magazine, either in the maybe in the very early '60s, and I think it was probably on one of those flexi discs, like a flexible plastic disc that was included in Mad Magazine, and it was an instrumental, and except for the words, it's a gas, and then you would have a belch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
4: sadly, in, now in 1985, especially you know on June 30th, on that day, <laughs> I had a sample pad which, unfortunately, you know, was not a, a very good. We didn't have very good samples then. So it sounds pretty electronic and pretty uh, pretty obnoxious, the, uh, the belch that's on there. But this is our version of It's a Gas, and you will also hear Bill Anderson playing sax. Bill was oh. out on that tour with us, and that's one of the songs he came out on stage. And, you know, sometimes it was trumpet, sometimes it was sax, sometimes he added guitar and, uh, you know, did some singing and stuff like that. Here's one of the songs he played sax on.
3: It's again!
1: I don't think I ever expected Al to cover Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> and years later, later they shared the cover of Mad Magazine. I know. <laughs> And that's probably why we play that only one time.
4: I don't know. Right. <laughs> no, you know, it was it was and I can I can remember it. I mean I just you know, as as I was listening to these things again, I remember doing that. I remember playing that song and and uh we did it one time. There's certain things that happen that way. You know, there's certain reasons, you know, like for example, singing Jurassic Park in Japanese happened one time. <laughs> right. Just just because. I don't even know why. It just did. And that's cool. And I have a recording of that, so even better.
1: I just wish that would have happened when Dave and I were at the show.
4: (laughs) Oh, sorry. We saw 18 shows. I will talk to Al about that kind of stuff again and and see
0: if we can't uh, make it happen.
1: (laughs) We'll send you our schedule. (laughs) Okay.
0: When you're performing these songs, these once-only concert songs, do you know that at the time they're going to be once-only? Or is that something that after it happens you go, yeah, we're not doing that again?
4: Well, some of them are are surprise. So yeah, I mean, we find out they're going to be once only. You know, on the spot. For example, we uh,
3: <laughs>
4: we did now now we did that boy could dance a, a fair bit. Like maybe once a week, we did that on the no frills tour in twenty eighteen. Right. So the fans have heard us play that. But until that time, we had never. That was never on the set list. Except one night, one fateful night, one fateful night. I think it was May seventh, nineteen eighty four. Wow! If if my memory is just and it was at the Chestnut Cabaret in Philadelphia. Now we had two shows, and this was a a club, a, a night, literally a nightclub, and we did two shows that evening. Except when it came time to get the first audience out and the second audience in, the first audience didn't really leave. I mean, they most of oh, them man. stayed, and and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think perhaps the smart ones left. I don't know. But they, uh, a lot of the audience, about 80% of it, was the same as the first show. And it was very evident to us. I mean, this was one of those things where there wasn't really a stage as such. We were just kind of on a little riser sort of a deal, just the four of us. And this was one of those evenings where Al was kind of chatting with the audience and almost taking requests. And I sort of think somebody requested that boy could dance. It was not part of our set list. That didn't stop us. We, we played it kind of kind of uh, actually, considering we hadn't even rehearsed it, uh, we played it pretty well. Now again, this was fresh in our minds from having been on that album that was on, on in 3 d that had just come out. But you know, again, to, to just sort of pull this song out and, and do it the way we did with with a vocal exception or two, I think we did okay, and that was the last time. We played that until 2018. So, however many, 16, 18, 34. It's 34 years be- between performances.
1: Did Whew. you guys rehearse it before the Vanity tour, or was that on the? Spot oh yeah, too? oh <laughs> yeah, because
4: we remembered how what happened in 1984 on May 7th. We remembered that well, and uh, we said, you know what, we better work on this one. We don't want that to happen again. And, uh, oh, you know what? And and unrelated to anything, I remember that some of the guys from the band, The Hooters, were at uh, one of those shows. They were a Philadelphia band, and they were uh, at one of the shows that night. They may have been some of the people that stayed for both shows. So they uh, possibly heard us do this song.
3: Wow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's check it out.
2: they are going to experiment around some more then. Wow. Here's something we've never done live before in concert, we'll play it for you for the first time. And we'll make mistakes! Okay!
1: Did you guys ever play "I'll Be Mellow When I'm Dead"? We uh, yes, that that was part of the set. Okay, for, uh, I, I think probably
4: uh, on the first tour, maybe on the second. I'm not. You know what? I'm not. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I, I have a great memory for dates. Uh, I have a <laughs> right. terrible memory for songs. So that's that's one I'd have to look up and, and just make sure. Of course. Or you at, at, you know anybody can go to Weird Al and uh, look at the old set lists and, right. and see what we did. And in case people can't spell, we have Weird Al. Spelled both ways, so if you like the i before e, you can go to w i e r d a l dot com, and it goes to L dot com. Or there's the correct way, and you can remember there's that old grammar rule e before i. That's weird. Yeah, that's how you know how to spell that. So that's uh you can check it out there.
1: I remember as a kid, I was like, I wonder who owns weird spelled wrong al dot com, and I was just like, of course. Of course <laughs> Al owns it. <laughs> I was so happy well, when I noticed and, that. And I
4: was a little a little behind because somebody had already snagged Weird dot com. Oh. Which frankly, weirdal.com dot com makes a lot more sense when you're sitting in front of a keyboard or especially yeah. If you're on a, a smartphone and you're having to use little tiny touch keys, yeah, yeah, be thankful you don't right. have to spell out Yankovic. <laughs> so it, it was a blessing in disguise. Nobody ever did anything good or bad with the full name, and that's fine as long as they just keep it under wraps. That's cool. And yeah. frankly, WeirdAl.com is so embedded in pop culture that you know somebody would think WeirdAlYankovic.com was a scam anyway. Right. <laughs> so we're, we're not in a hurry to uh, to buy that back.
1: But if you did own it, you'd also need Weird Al Yankovic with the H at the end. Just, you know, just in case. Yes. And
4: and W-I-E-R-D-A-N-K-O-V-I-C-H. It would have been a whole can
1: of worms. Uh, Yeah. I
4: think you made the right choice. Okay. What else you got? Wait, I should know. I sent you all this stuff.
1: (laughs) So uh, I I don't know how to introduce the Night Ranger. So in
4: 1984, and I think it was a series of weekends, we were at uh, Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And we were performing for grad nights. And we, were, we were, did some short sets. And we were alternating sets with Night Ranger at the time. And, and we did a couple of weekends in a row. And one night, they had a, they had a, a number of hits, actually. If you look them up, it's like they have a, a number of familiar songs. A bunch of great guys, Fitz and Jack Blades and Kelly Keegy and the guys. And one night, and, and I think this was the second weekend we were there, we decided to have a little fun. And they had a song called You Can Still Rock in America, And there's an ending on the song that's sort of a nice little tag. So we decided to take that and have a little fun with the guys. So we added that tag to the songs we did in our set.
2: So at the end of
4: I Lost on Jeopardy, you know, you... You hear us go da 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 da, and King of Swede and eat it. The eat it was the last song of of the set, and and you know we do this whole good night, good night, good night, da 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 da. So, so you know we're we just we're just poking fun at them, and so they come out. They they had a little revenge. They came out after our next show after that. And during Eat It, they had taken the deli trays from their dressing room. They had a big stack of amps. They had like a wall of amps that they could like, they had a runway on the top of it that you could walk across near above and behind the band. And we're playing Eat It, and, and all of a sudden, all these like little broccoli and carrots and all the little cherry tomatoes and stuff comes raining down on us, like sort of from above and behind. And I turn around, and it's the guys in Night Ranger with deli trays throwing all this food at us during eat it. Anyway, we we signed a truce after that to oh, not be man. funny with uh, each other anymore, and uh, it was all in all, in good fun. Oh, I but love uh, it. but that it was it was a good time. So uh, we had our fun; they had their fun. Uh, they had to get fresh jelly trays, and yeah. it, it, you know, it all worked out.
0: Let's listen to Al and the band performing the ending to You Can Still Rock in America from Night Ranger.
2: I love old Jeopardy,
3: baby
1: That's amazing. <laughs> All right, so did did you guys play the song Eat It Through when you were getting hit with the vegetables? Or did, like, I feel like you guys were professional about it and you made it through. Well, we we, we had to. I mean, Al doesn't stop for anything
4: unless he falls off the front of the stage, which, uh, you know. Uh, he, he doesn't, and even then, even then the show does not stop. Wow. No, we, we played and, and sort of, you know, I, I don't remember being mad. I think it was a little bit, it was, I'm sure the audience thought it was hilarious. Right. And, and uh, I know the guys at Night Ranger thought it was hilarious. I mean, it wasn't, they weren't being malicious. They just right. thought, oh, you know, it's it's a fun concert. You know, Al's having fun. We'll have some fun too. You know, we'll take these deli trays and just rain down food. He's doing a f- song about food and eating it. Here you go, Al, have some broccoli. So, so uh now you know what it was it was a fun night and I think we all we just did like maybe 20 or 25 minute sets and we did a couple each per night and it was two weekends in a row and we had a great time. Oh interesting thing about being at Disney World during grad night at the time uh if you were out in the park at all they had a dress code and oh. you had to have a a shirt and a tie. I mean wow. you had to be you know and maybe oh, wow. even a jacket but you had to have a, you, you dressed up and if we even as the talent Wanted to go out and we did. They supplied us with shirts and ties and here, put these on and now you can go out and go wander the park. And we did. Wow. So there's there's a picture of us. I'm certainly it's on weirdal.com. W e i r d a l.com <laughs> of of us of of the band and crew. On a on a stairwell with our tour manager Al too in shirts and ties,
3: uh, so that we could go
4: out and and you know mix in like people wouldn't know that that we weren't grads or something right. You know, we weren't seventeen years old. You know we would blend in. I guess I, I remember that and uh, and that we did not to, get to keep the shirts and ties. Which oh, was oh. Sad. Yeah. sad. I I eventually bought my own. It was nice.
0: Well, that's interesting because I've seen a video of Al performing. In a Night Ranger music video, Secret to My Success, I don't think he's actually performing on the song. I think just in the video, he's playing uh, one of the horns, maybe the saxophone or something. Is that how that came about, your relationship with Night Ranger? Well,
4: that, that wouldn't be why we wound up at Disney World together, but I don't know if it was before or after that performance. Hmm. But that, that would have been independent of, of being booked together.
1: Well, we talked about food and eat it. What about the fat music video?
4: Wow, that's well. That's kind of yeah. Food, fat, yeah. yeah. That that goes. Yeah. It's a well, segway. the videos. I mean, as as with a lot of Al's, a lot of artists' videos, the the videos have things in them that it's not just. The, the recording and, you know, like a lip sync thing, you know, with, with visuals. A lot of times, there sometimes there's dialogue. You know, Michael Jackson liked to have a whole prologue leading into his songs. I mean, it was a whole story. Right. And and on the Fat video in particular, there were a lot of sound effects. Um, and those sound effects are, are uh, it's called Foley. And there was a guy way back whose name was Foley, probably Bob Foley or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and his job was to create sound effects to enhance things for movies and whether it was somebody walking down a street or or rain or thunder like they did on radio back in the days uh, they would have a sound effects person but that came to be known as foley uh, the art of doing that was called foley so we were doing uh, sound effects and and some crowd some voice noises and stuff for the fat video and al and i were there i don't remember who else was there doing it but there's, these are just some excerpts from that, some of the the gang noises and stuff. And and there's the, the one guy, you know, Al's going, you know, ho. And there's another guy who goes, ho. You know, ho, 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 ho. So that other ho, that ho, that's me. Oh. <laughs> Do, yeah. Doing that. So And I remember Al cracked up at that. He thought that was hilarious. It's like, what, I'm just, you know, and we're watching the video, obviously, so we can match what the guys in the video are doing. And it's like what? I'm looking. He opens his mouth. I open my mouth. You know, I I was I was doing the the Asian guy was was the guy doing that answering him back. So I was doing that. uh, Ho. Anyway, so that uh, that part is me.
1: Let's listen to it right now. This is my new ringtone.
3: <laughs>
0: now, is that is that sound in the back? Is that like somebody crunching like a carrot or a celery? Is that what that
1: uh, possibly,
4: sound is? possibly? Now, there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole host of sound effects and stuff. There's a mouse trap. There's Al yelling. There's yeah. the sound of every time Al would would uh, you know move around in in the fat suit. You know, all the buckles and stuff. There's noises, you know, of of buckles and stuff being shaken. I mean, there's a whole it's It's almost a song by itself to hear this thing, but you have to be familiar with the video first and honestly right. it's it's a lot to listen to on a podcast but uh, these were the the vocal things that we did were sort of fun, so that's why I included those
0: is this muzak is that also like a additional uh oh
4: well mu at, at on the song cavity search about visiting the dentist of course at the end you're supposed to you hear this uh dentist drill going and it's it's kind of <laughs> like the sound. of of a waiting room and you've got the music going and, and the dentist drill and all that. And the, the music was actually done by Ruben and I. Oh, and I think we, I think we recorded this in 1995. It might've been November 5th of 1995 (laughs) year of our Lord. So we, we recorded just this, this loop of, of just like this bad music, sort of a, you know, Ruben, Ruben being of Latin persuasion. It's got a Latin feel. And it's not, it's on, on the record, of course, it's obscured. You know, it's really quiet and it's obscured by the drill. So this is, this is literally what the track was that was used for that. And it's a lot, uh, maybe clearer and louder than you wanted to hear it. But there it is.
1: music. To the music and hearing people scream, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good times. Good times. I love that.
0: <laughs> is that something that you and Ruben improvised, or is that something that Al gave you guidance on exactly how he wanted it to sound?
4: Oh, you know, i i don't I don't remember if uh, Al gave him instructions or not. I don't know. It may have been, uh, you know, Al may have said something like, "Oh, cook up some, you know, waiting room type yeah. type thing." <laughs> You know, simple, kinda cheerful little whatever and, and you know, we'll see how it works. And that's that's what it was and, and it got used. So I don't know if Al dictated that or if uh Ruben and I got lucky, you know, on the first try. But uh but that that's what it was and that's what got used and you know, it's supposed to sound like a waiting room and and uh, by golly it does with, with this loud drill. It sure does. It, <laughs> ugh, makes me makes me shiver every time I hear that.
1: I think I'm gonna set that as my on hold music. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> Bermuda, what's the Sharona track you sent us?
4: Oh boy. Well everyone knows we did my Bologna. Of course. Well that's neither here nor there.
1: <laughs> this is I just Well, it will
4: it will be in a minute, actually. So Trapped in the Drive Thru, there's the portion of the song where, you know, the couple is sitting in the car and and uh, the guy turns on the radio and yeah. a, a uh
0: Led Zeppelin, right?
4: Led Zeppelin. Black, Black Dog. Dog da 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 Yeah. So that comes on the... So, you know, nice instrumental. Everybody knows what that is. Now, it didn't quite start out that way. What it started out as, you know, Al wanted a little recognizable riff in there. And his first thought was, well, ACDC, back and back. Da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, something that you would hear that you didn't need to hear lyrics. You just, you knew what it was. And they they turned him down on that. And then Al Al asked, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, can we use Black Dog or something like that? And waited and waited and waited, and, you know. So in the meantime, we're we're on a schedule, so we needed to go in and record. Trapped in the drive-through, it was I think it was maybe two thousand six, might have been February nineteenth.
3: Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
4: you, yeah, that's the date. And so we went in, and we hadn't heard back. And it's like, well, you know, we can always do my Sharona you know he's he's buddies with Doug Figer and you know not going to be a problem with that so we recorded my Sharona and you know again a recognizable song you know without hearing lyrics or anything else and we recorded that you know continued then to work on some of the other stuff and trapped in the drive-thru we had laid down the you know that's all sequenced and all of that and that was all committed and a little later that week Led Zeppelin got back and said oh yeah you can use uh Black Dog yeah go ahead but in the meantime we and we had already we were done like being able to record live stuff at that point so we uh came back two months later and recorded a segment of black dog and then that got inserted but the Sharona that we did nobody had ever heard that before wow until now Did. The idea was to to make it you know well as as we've tried for decades to make it sound like the original, and we did pretty good. Now that's that's a completely un eq That's like a really basic. It was never even mixed. That's that's just my mix of the of the parts that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we did pretty good on that. Now for Black Dog, evidently we did so good. So many people said, "Oh, that was so cool of Led Zeppelin to let you take you know, their <laughs> song, and to take a clip of their song and put it into your." you know, like, like we had taken it off of, you know, one of their albums or something. Right. And that's, that's a great compliment. But I I remember that being one of those things, you know, that was mentioned by more than a few people.
1: I think this one's really interesting. I think this is the first time that Al actually was thinking about me when he recorded the song Talk Soup, because he does say (laughs) my first initial in the song.
4: Oh, oh, that one. So on Alapalooza. now Talk Soup was a TV show on, on E!, on the entertainment channel. My channel, yeah. And on your channel. <laughs> and I mean, so the song is sort of based on that a little bit. And at the very end of the song, there, you know, you hear E! And that's that's <laughs> the end of the song. Well, what nobody knows, and I don't think ever got used, was we had a version where, and this was to be used on E!, we had a version uh, throughout the courses where we would sing on E, and that the word was in the mix, mm, like okay. during the during the out courses, you know, not just at that very end. And there's a whole version of the song with that in those courses, and that's the snippet that I have brought here. Listen to-
0: Wow, that is so subtle, just in the background there, like that. You almost don't hear
1: it, right? That is the reason I listen to Dave and Ethan's Two Thousand Inch weird Al podcast. It's to hear exclusive audio, like the E placed different in the song. I love that.
4: Woo-hoo. You know what? That's just one of those weird little anomalies that's almost not, almost not worth mentioning. But if you know, you got some hardcore completist types out there, and I, honestly, I don't know if that ever got used on E. Uh, okay. it was I mean it was done specifically for them uh and and I don't know if it ever got used, so I don't know if anyone's ever heard that or not wow, so but in, ca- in case- in case they the haven't first. there it is,
1: <laughs> and if they have, they may not have noticed it <laughs> uh,
4: right well that that's true it's it's a little bit buried in the mix, but it is in there, and it's what makes that different than the
0: version that's on alapalooza. so cool, yeah, it's great. All right, so Al did the theme song to Talk Soup, which was never used, but there was a theme song that he did for his own TV show, Al TV, and I understand you brought with you a full version of Al TV.
4: Ah, yes, uh, which sounds suspiciously like the MTV theme. Imagine Al (laughs) taking someone else's song and and just, like, putting an accordion on it instead. The nerve. The nerve of him. So... We, you know, th- these were done as bumpers to uh, Al TV, uh, you know, to to his uh, specials, and they came in different lengths. Uh, we basically we recorded, and I think it was 1984, and might have been January 18th, possibly. And he and I were <laughs> were in his old apartment, and uh, on the Porta Studio, and I had my Synsonics, which was made by Mattel. It was the Synsonics, <laughs> <Wow>. like <laughs> electronic drums. Oh wow! That were just that were. So so bad they were great.
1: Yeah. I mean, I eventually wound up
4: sampling the sounds, and, and they're, like, really cool. But at the time, it was just, it was a toy. But that's okay, because that's kind of what we did. And we we basically did, you know, three go-arounds of the theme, and but it always got edited down to these shorter bumpers. Well, here's the original full version from start to finish, and I don't think it was ever heard in this way before. <laughs>
3: That's so
1: cool <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Something I never knew I needed until I heard it. (laughs) You recorded that, you said, in Al's apartment?
4: Yes. Uh, That was, I'm surprised the neighbors didn't uh, complain. (laughs) Or maybe they were digging it. I don't know. (laughs) No, this was his apartment that was the Gailmore building. Uh, He literally, in the song Melanie, where he references the Gailmore building, Mm -hmm. his apartment at the time was the Gailmore apartments. Wow. So that's that's where that came from. And I know there's a picture on weirdal.com, W-E-I-R-D-A-L. <laughs> and uh, there's a picture of him in front of a sign that says the Galemore Apartments or Arms or whatever. That was his old building.
1: Wow. Oh, wow. I think I'm going to have to go there for my next Algrimage. <laughs>
4: Algrimage? Ooh, yes. I like that.
1: <laughs> was that
0: common to record stuff in Al's apartment at that time?
4: We did some demos of things. I don't know that we recorded anything that that made it out as a released thing but it was common because you know we, we didn't really have the band together for something like that i mean it wasn't really necessary for that and it, it was suitable enough you know and and uh frankly he didn't want to pay to go into a studio to to pay for something like that so
1: <laughs> and it sounds great
4: <laughs> yeah and it's it sounds it's you know it's, some things the cheesier and the rawer, you know the 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 more gritty they sound sometimes that's a coolness factor that you don't get if you do it really slick you know could we have gone in and and exactly copied the mtv theme uh, i suppose but it wouldn't have been as funny there's not lyrics that you can change you know it's right. funny when it is an accordion <laughs> instead of right. rock guitars you know and when it's bad sounding you know toy drums instead of a real drum set you know that that's there's a coolness factor totally and uh you know, that's, that's, you know, and showing the rocket taking off and then falling back down. I mean, that's, you know, that's, uh, it's funny. It's funny.
1: It's humor. It's, uh, yeah. We have discovered something amazing here today with all of these tracks. This has been incredible. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's
4: been my pleasure. And hopefully people heard some things that uh, they enjoyed.
0: I
1: definitely heard
0: things I enjoyed. I am not going to be able to sleep tonight. Those clips are incredible.
1: My ears are so happy. Yes, thank you to Bermuda for giving us, Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, those amazing clips to share with our listeners for 27-inch. You know, he told us off the air that
0: he has over 200 folders of Weird Al-related audio. That is incredible. Maybe we can rate his collection again for 127-inch. Please let us and Bermuda know what you thought of the clips on our Facebook
1: group and social media. And if you like this podcast, please consider going over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. That's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast on iTunes. And if you didn't like the podcast, why are you listening? If you really enjoyed the
0: podcast, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash 2,000-inch and this week only... Everyone who supports us at the $5 or more level gets an official Dave and Ethan sticker.
1: We want to thank all of our listeners, especially those who subscribe, and especially, especially those who support us on Patreon.
0: If you like this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. We're on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Atari 2600 Cartridge, anywhere you can stream podcasts. Also, don't forget, leave us those five-star reviews. You can find us on Twitter,
1: Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at 2000inch and 2000inch.com. Don't forget, check out our Facebook group and join in on all sorts of discussions, all sorts of stuff. Use hashtag 2000inch when you're posting about us on social media so Frank
0: can find it. And call us on our hotline, 347 Spatula. It's a real number, 347-772-8852. Leave us a message. Let us know what you
1: thought about those amazing clips. And of course, you can check out our Strings Attached bonus Centimeter episodes, whenever, to hear our concert reviews and more, fan reactions, that sort of thing. We've got more of those coming real soon to finish up the Strings Attached tour. And also, every week, every Wednesday, a brand new Full Inch episode.
0: That was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Great Owl Podcast. Episode 27 inch. Hooray!